0: You are now listening to Couch Coach Live. All right, what's going on, Couch Coaches? We are here on another special Couch Coach Live. We have our NCAA Power 5 Conference Preview. We're going to start off in the Pac-12. I got my guy, Zach, from the Blue Bloods podcast. What's going on, man?
1: Not much, man. Not much, man. I appreciate you having me. I'm always down to talk college football.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, man, we, you know, we got a great show um, for you guys today. We'll preview uh, the Pac-12 and just pretty much get you familiar with one of the, what Zach said to me in the pre-production, one of the most slept on conferences in this league. Yep. So get familiar with the Pac-12. Before we get into the Pac-12, we had some news this morning that yeah. I'm not, I'm, you know, <laughs> I want to I have positive thoughts. But there was a, you know, as far as with the uh, Mid-American Conference that essentially yep. are canceling their fall, pretty much their fall schedule due yep. to the coronavirus. Your thoughts before we, you know, proceed to the Pac-12, oh. to the preview.
1: Uh, yeah, we actually, me and my co-host we're talking today about putting that on our show tomorrow. But, I, you know, to be honest, the Mac isn't going to determine, I think, for the Power Five because the Mac knows Toledo and Central Michigan, they're not competing for a national championship. But I, I think it's a lot more f- far stretched to see the SEC, ACC or someone like that cancel their season because they have better they have a better chance of competing for a national championship and also the funding, man. You got to think of the funding. I mean, if you look at the budgets for these MAC schools compared to a school like Central Michigan, they're in a better position to keep the players safe and engaged and in a better position to succeed in a time like this. So I don't think the MACs necessarily the final straw for the Power Five conferences or college football in general. The thing I would look out for, I don't know how many people know this yet, the Big Ten is supposedly meeting today. And a bunch of the presidents actually want the Big Ten to cancel their season or move it to spring. So I think that's gonna be the biggest domino to look out for.
0: Yeah, and that's and, another one, right. And that's where you're like it's it's starting to get to a point. It's like <laughs> and I think and, and I think even when you posted um, about UConn last week and mm-hmm. that was one of the things where it's like, okay, a lot of these a lot of these dominoes are dropping, a lot of shoes are dropping to a point where it's like I mean, are we seeing tea leaves? Are these, like, warning signs? Is this where, or you know, just this more of a series of what's to come? So that's another thing where you're, like, but then you look at it's almost, the Mac was almost like UConn where they're essentially like a cash trap. Um, so mm-hmm. it's one of the things where they would probably would lose more money. And, like you said, as far as, you know, the, the testing and the actual, you know, playing of the games or whatever would be, you know, they would probably take a loss more so than actually gain compared to Power right. 5 schools
1: and another thing to talk about uconn because the mac is a conference that together is is pretty successful i mean they won a few bowl games last year even uh, i think central michigan won their bowl game they had a few other teams but uconn's an interesting scenario because they played it off and i think i even said it on our podcast they played it off as player safety but people forget they got kicked out of their conference last year the aac said your football team is in such a bad place that we don't even want you anymore and so UConn was going to be real stretched to find opponents because all these conferences are going to conference only. Well, if you're not in a conference, how are you going to play any football games? And that's why we saw Notre Dame make that jump to the ACC, but Notre Dame and UConn are in a lot different places. So I don't think UConn had that opportunity to move into a conference yet.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. You shout out to our guy, Steven of AAS. Definitely. You shout out to um, checking us out today. So, so now let's the get to news. the, yes, let's get to the, to the big news, which is, which was a very interesting thing that came out, I want to say nearly a week ago, where um, we had several guys from the Pac-12 uh, players and they created hashtag, we are united movement. Essentially there are demands as far as to help with the uh, social economic, and as well as health of the players. So what are your thoughts on the actual, we are united movement?
1: So I think there are good and bad parts to it. I think, I think, so what I think they did is they asked for the world hoping just to get half of it. They, they probably know they're not getting 50% of the total revenue of the PAC 12. That's, that's not going to ever happen. The coaches aren't taking a pay cut. Larry Scott's not taking a pay cut. So those things were positioned to get the little things like COVID protection. That's a great thing. I, I know you probably agree. If we're going to put college football players out there, even NFL, NBA players, we need to take the proper precautions to protect those players, especially because they 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 framed it as, we're going to play in-conference to limit travel. Well, I'm sure you know, how far is it from Arizona State up to Washington to play an in-conference game? It's probably right. closer. It's, pro- it's further than Arizona State going to play Texas. So... Right. I think that's a huge, huge key there. I think the COVID things are great. I think when you look at maybe the section of ending racial injustice in college sports, I think the revenue, the 2% revenue going toward support financial aid for low income students and community initiatives is great. Because on the podcast, I broke it down. 2% of the PAC 12 revenue would have been $10.2 million last year. How far could that money go and making a real tangible change, which is what the NBA is talking about right now. Like we, they don't, they don't just want their names on the Jersey. They want tangible, real change that we could say, this is what we accomplished with this movement. And I think that's the key here. The, that is something that I absolutely support. Now where you kind of lose me is the, and I just want to say the, the, I don't know if you know the difference. I don't know if our listeners know the difference between name image likeness and just paying the players straight up. There's a huge, huge theoretical difference in that. So name image likeness is where, I mean, I asked my co-host on our podcast, how many Joe Burrow jerseys were probably sold in Baton Rouge last year. I'm talking probably upwards of 10 million and Joe Burrow didn't make a dime off of it. And that should change. And that's what name image likeness is going to. But i don't think we should pay players a salary because it opens up problems that people might not foresee i mean because if you're on a salary then you don't you probably don't get free housing so these players are going to have to take that salary and pay for housing they're going to have to pay for food they're going to have to do all this stuff where they're already and i don't know i know we had cole Kubelet from the sec network on our podcast talk about Mm this um and a lot of people don't know players already get stipends they get Pell Grants, and so some players are bringing in $4,000 a month and they just pocket the money because they don't have to pay for housing, power, uh, car notes, stuff like that, because it's all included in their scholarship and they can send it home to their family and um, such. But if you put them on salary, then you have to allow the schools to fire them for poor performance. And are we going to be more upset if a quarterback goes to get an education and he gets to let go by the school because he doesn't live up to their, his expectations? that opens up a whole nother can of worms. So I think medical insurance, uh, name image likeness, COVID, um, underrepresentation for um, underrepresented communities, all great. But I think where you have to draw the line is putting these kids in a position where they're making millions of dollars on salary and it opens them up to more problems down the road that you might not foresee yet. Everybody's for, players getting more players having more opportunity, but you also have to look around that corner and like, what could happen if we start doing that? And you have to foresee some of those problems that may be worse than what you think you're in
0: now. Yeah. And I agree. And I think the, the, the the image and likeness is probably the most fairest compensation because at least with that, you're it's, it's more fair. Cause to me, would you pay Joe Burrow the same as a freshman? Like say, if you, if, if you, paid them a $50,000 salary. Right. So you mean, tell me Joe Burrow, he gets the same as his backup or, you know, or whoever, or a red shirt freshman. That's not even seeing the field. Right. Versus like, this would be a perfect conversation where if there's a situation where Joe Burrow is invited to a restaurant and to do autographs, or if one of the guys are, you know, as far as a, you know, coach they is a coaching gig during the summer that, you know, those type of things where they can get compensated off of that. And I think that's right. probably more fair, like you said, because guys, like you said, if they get paid like a state employee, then they might get fired. And this is exactly. just a, as a joke, Tate Martell would be unemployed at this point in exactly. his life. I mean, exactly. that's to, you know, just to be, you know, let add a little humor to it, where, where guys will essentially will be, uh, you know, as far as they will be almost treated, like an employee, and the, the harsh reality of an employee, more right. so than actually, because we still kind of view them as employees, but at least in their sense, they don't, you know, This that would be the harsh reality of being an employee, like you said, because in certain cases, a $50,000 salary, would you be able to afford those things? Would you be able to afford, like, like especially, like, if you go to, like, say, if you should go to a USC or, you know, uh, matter of fact. The Pac-12, if you go to one of these Pac-12 schools like UCLA, USC, I don't think you're going to be able to make it per se on the $50,000 um, salary.
1: Right. And, Necessarily, yeah. And, and there's two points that I brought up on our podcast that I think is real important to put in perspective that I think the players might have missed or they, or they didn't want to put it out into light. So uh, I found a 2017 financial report where college sports generated like – 14 billion dollars or something like that and college football was upwards of 30 40 million dollars in just net profit across the whole country so they're taking in schools that don't make um don't have a i guess a surplus of money or schools that lost money well college football have brought in more than the next 35 college sports combined including college basketball which makes most of their money off of march madness so if you take march madness out college football can make more money than every other sport that some of these colleges field and these colleges depend on that money to fund other sports and i broke it down and so if you took half the budget of women's softball um it came down to the whole country averaged out at about seven hundred thousand dollars. Well, you only have about 32,000 softball players in NCAA softball. So that's about $10 a player they would get if they split 50% of the revenue. So you're putting football players in a position where other athletes are like, well, now you guys are the selfish ones, and now we're out of scholarships, and we're making $10 a year to play our game, and our sports might not be funded. And when we just saw Stanford, they cut 14 sports because yes. of their, their income wasn't right. And the other thing is only three percent of the schools in the NCAA bring in 54 percent of the total revenue in football so you only have a handful of schools even making a profit so what do these players think they're going to get this money from because a school like let's just say Utah State they're probably not making millions of dollars True. In, in any sport and it, it puts, it puts schools in a weird position and the whole thing with the players is we want to make sure we're okay. and We're set for the future. Well, Alabama used over $6 million of their athletic department revenue to fund scholarships and other academic programs, which yes. directly benefit the athletes and the students. So I, this, this whole thing. Um, and I know Kublick when he came on our show was really upset that these players use the term exploited because He said, you're so far from actually being exploited that it's crazy. He was like, you know, I played football in the 90s and we got even less than you guys. And I was just happy to be on scholarship because I didn't come from anything. He says, you live in the nicest dorms. You have the nicest facilities. He was like, exploited is the furthest thing from what we should be claiming you are at this point.
0: Yeah. And that's the other thing where like. Or people, you know, where, where the line is drawn in the sand, where you know you do look at it from a, from that perspective, and I can see it go both ways, but I think the compensation of images and likeness is the, by far the fairest thing that we that we can come up with, because like either way, if you pay them, then it's 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 a it's, not, it's a cause and effect where you know then they're going to be held to certain standards, which you know that it it just wouldn't it wouldn't be conducive where. You know with that is. What that is concerned, but um, so man, so it looks like for the most part, the odds-on favorite to win, uh, this conference, and it as it's been published in several publications and websites, Oregon. So Oregon, now we're in a very unprecedented year where we're going to just be having conference-only games. Yeah. So essentially, they're re- so if you know Oregon, if they hold on and do what they have to do. And, you know, they're potentially a um, they go undefeated in this conference. And could this Oregon team crash the college football party?
1: Okay, so this might surprise some people. I don't think Oregon even needed this to happen to do that. I already had Oregon in the college football playoff before this change happened. Um, They were supposed to play Ohio State at home before the schedule relaunch. I think they could have beat Ohio State. I really think that's how good this Oregon team is. And people might say, well, they have Justin Fields. Oregon lost Justin Herbert. I don't. I, I don't I think Oregon, outside of quarterback, is just as talented or more talented than even Ohio State is. And I don't think there's going to be any sneaking in. And I, I really think Oregon is the best team in this country. And last year, I had the same feeling about LSU. And you can go back to our podcast. I picked LSU to be in the playoffs and win the SEC last year when no one else was. And I think Oregon could be that team. I don't think they're going to be record-setting as LSU, but they're going to be that team where everyone's like, they're borderline, they're borderline. And I think they're going to be better than they think, and this is why. So I really think they have a top three player in the country at every single position but quarterback and wide receiver. I think they have the best offensive lineman in the country in Panay Suelde. Uh, he, was, he won the Outland Trophy last year, given to the best interior offensive lineman, a unanimous All-American. He was the pro football-focused Pac-12 player of the year as an offensive lineman. That's oh, and her, How do you win that as an offensive lineman? He played over 900 snaps last year and allowed zero sacks. He didn't allow a single sack in the Pac-12, which had defensive linemen go in the top three rounds of the NFL draft this year. And in all those snaps, only allowed seven pressures the entire season. And Pro Football Focus ranked him the top graded pass and run, uh, the, the top rated uh, run blocking offensive lineman in the country, and the third rated pass blocking O lineman in the country. And he won the Pac 12 Player of the Week four times as an offensive lineman. So I, I, think, I think he'd be the first, I think he'd be going to be the first pick in the draft if Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields doesn't step up. That's how good is to me and then you move to the other side of the ball and you have Kayvon Thibodeau. He was a true freshman last year and he's a top three defensive end in the country. He had 14 tackles for loss, nine sacks. He was number one in the NCAA in fourth quarter sacks and set the record for the Pac-12 championship game with two and a half sacks in that game against Utah. He was the Pac-12 freshman defensive player of the year and a first team All-American. And I don't want to get too far to this because we have another segment coming up that you sent me where I really want to highlight a player. But in in our um, on our podcast, we uh, highlighted the best uh, positional group around the country for this next season. I think Oregon has the best secondary in college football, and it's not even close. They have um, Javon Holland, best slot corner in college football, in my opinion. I'm going to cover him later. But they have two senior boundary cornerbacks in Thomas Graham Jr. and. Uh, I think it's Dio Moore uh, Lanier. He has a long, long name. I'm terrible with names, but these guys broke up over 53 passes in their career and combined for 13 interceptions. And then there's, they returned both safeties. One of their safeties, uh, Brady Barisi won the Rose bowl MVP last year. And both safeties rank in the top 10 in the country, according to pro football focus and returning safeties and four of their cornerbacks are in the top 50 for pro football focus returning so if, if you ask me right now I don't think Oregon needed any help I think this Oregon defense has a chance to be top five in the country and if Tyler Shaw the new starting quarterback can get rolling early Oregon is going to be probably the most dangerous team in the country
0: nice yeah I've been hearing a lot about um, about this squad I'm like yeah they, they got a lot of NFL talent to oh, yeah. say at least on there and yeah Get ready.
1: There's going to be a streak, kind of like when Clemson finally hit that peak with Debo Sweeney where we saw just player after player go in the first round. Mm-hmm. These next two to three years for Oregon, you're going to see three to four Oregon players every year go in the first round, especially nice. on the defensive side of the ball. Nice. Nice. Yeah, they're they're one of my favorite teams. I, if you if you didn't watch an Oregon game last year, please mm-hmm. make time to watch one next year because th- this team is going to be outstanding.
0: Yeah. So. So are there any teams in this Pac-12 that will that will likely pose a threat to Oregon?
1: Yeah, I think the obvious one has to be USC. I mean, as much as I talk about this Oregon defense and they lost Justin Herbert, that's a huge loss. Well, the best quarterback in the Pac-12 right now is returning freshman Keaton Slovis from USC. He was thrusted into the starting role, I believe, week two. Uh, when uh, JT Daniels went down, who now transferred to Georgia because he couldn't even get a starting spot back from Keenan Slovis. And yes, a huge loss is wide receiver Michael Pittman. But this wide receiver room is loaded. I mean, Amon Ross St. Brown, he was on my list of the best returning Pac-12 players. He's going to be an X factor on the outside because he has a perfect, perfect deep ball. He He can get past anybody deep they have Tyler Vons returning they have Kyle Ford returning these are all going to be go-to options for Slovis even though Pittman's off to the NFL the one potential downfall so the reason I think they're just a threat to Oregon but they don't beat Oregon that run game man I don't know if you saw a lot of USC games last year that run game was absolutely abysmal they only had two games where they had a player rush for over 100 yards and they only averaged about three yards per carry for the entire season There were games where USC was the better team in every single position, but because they couldn't run the ball, Keaton Slovis was getting killed back there because they were just sending blitzes because they knew they couldn't run the ball. And Keaton Slovis had nowhere to go. And outside of Michael Pittman, no one really stood out last year on the wide receiver unit. And it wasn't just a running back fault. The offensive line never seemed to gel. They lost Austin Jackson. He was a first-round pick this year in the NFL draft. But I see enough potential in this offensive line where if they gel – the wide receiver step up, Keaton Slovis could really lead the team far, and they already play Oregon um, one time in the regular season. I I see them playing twice. I think USC wins the South, and they do get to that uh, conference championship. But uh, outside of that, I think they're gonna have. I think next year USC is gonna be a team to watch instead of this year.
0: Nice. Yeah, they, yeah like you're saying, it could be you know 2021 when we look at the return of the uh, USC. Yeah, so it, 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 it's, yeah, it's a long time
1: coming that they they it's been, I can't believe it's been since oh four since USC has been a real contender,
0: right? Yeah, almost 20 years, and it's and it's and that's that's crazy, like you know, as far as with that is concerned, and yeah, well, but yeah, so who are the sleeper teams? Who are the teams that You know, because I look at the Pac-12 and Pac-12, you know, they always have these wacky, I call it Pac-12 at the dark matchups. And it's just like, you know, you have these, you know, different teams that just, you know, (laughs) it just makes up this conference and kind of makes it kind of what it is. So who are your sleeper teams in the Pac-12?
1: I have two. So I have one that's kind of a stretch and one that I really think could come out of nowhere. And the first one's Cal, the Cal Bears. They started 4-0 last season. They upset Washington, who was a top-15 team at the time. They beat an SEC team in Ole Miss pretty badly. Uh, but then they lost five of their next six games out of nowhere. But QB injuries really hindered their potential. I mean, when, you, when you're missing your starting quarterback and your backup even gets hurt and you have games against Oregon, Utah, USC, who were all good teams last year, it doesn't really bode well for a young, rebuilding team like Cal. But as soon as they got healthy, they went on a three-game win streak and won their bowl game over Illinois. They returned the most starters in the Pac-12 on both sides of the ball. So that's a huge boost here. And most importantly, their quarterback, Chase Garbers, is back. He's healthy. And when he was in the game, that team went to a different level. They went from being one of the lower-tier Pac-12 teams to when he was at 100%. They were in the top five, probably, of Pac-12 teams last year. And They have a new offensive coordinator, Bill Musgraves. He has a long, long career in the NFL. So he's bringing in NFL offense, and he has a quarterback in Garbers who has NFL potential. So it could be a perfect mix out there in Cal. And they benefit from the new Pac-12 schedule. Three of their four toughest games are being played at home. They have to travel to USC week two. That's a huge question mark, and that's going to tell me, can Cal really be a sleeper if they beat USC? the pac-12 could be in trouble because they get oregon at home they uh, and it, it already said i'm real high on oregon but if they beat oregon at home this cal team is probably going to win the pac-12 but they get all their other hard games at home i think that's huge especially in a coronavirus-riddled riddle season where we don't know if we're going to have fans but even with those empty stadiums having to travel and having like that jet lag, that worry that I had to leave the comfort of my bubble and my campus, I think it's going to play a bigger role than people are really giving it credit for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. And
1: I, I'm, I'm interested in Cal. And the other one, this might come as a surprise to some people, is the Washington Huskies. And it is surprising because they have recently made the college football playoff, I believe, in 2016. But and they've been a preseason top probably 15 team for three or four consecutive seasons, but they lost a future Hall of Fame coach in Chris Peterson. He finally stepped away and retired. They lost an NFL quarterback in Jacob Eason, The offensive coordinator left. The defensive coordinator, now, Jimmy Lake, now steps in to be head coach. So the expectations are tailored for this Washington team. They're having to replace a lot of pieces on this team. And Elijah Molden, the cornerback, has already declared that he's opted out of the season. So that was a potential first-round pick that you just lost off that defense. That's a huge loss in a season like this. Uh, But Jimmy Lake, I don't know how many people know him. He is a promising young coach. He has been – with Chris Peterson for a long time. He studied and they've been grooming him to take over this head coaching job for three to five years now. So he's ready. He's going to make a big impact and look for his name in future coach of the year discussions. But if this clicks a year sooner than I think it could, Washington can make a real run. I mean, they return the most defensive starters off of any team and that that's going to provide a nice safety net. I want to see how they replace Molden at cornerback because he's really, really good. But if that quarterback takes a little bit of time to develop, this defense should be able to hold up in some of these early games. And the reason it's a stretch pick is because with a first year head coach and quarterback, the schedule and the time of COVID without spring practice makes this brutal to try. They have to go on the road to Cal, to Oregon, to Utah, to USC, which were the top four teams in the Pac-12 last year. So you have four brutal away games for a first-year starting quarterback who didn't have spring practice to prepare. Yeah. So depending on how this quarterback battle goes, I think Washington could be one of those borderline teams, but next year they're definitely going to be a factor, and you just never know nowadays. I mean, they could click, and they're, and if they click, they're going to make a run at this Pac-12.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that's one thing, too, where – that's one thing, too, with the intrigue, and like you're saying, Washington was another team where we're like yeah. – and now, in the year they actually made it, I was like, "Well, they're not, you know, they're not gonna make it." It's just because I always thought, because Washington for me for years, has always been like what I call fools go, where it's like, you have them there and people you you'll hear these mock ups and you know as far as articles and like, where they're this, this is gonna be the year, and in 2016 was their right. year, and I like, nah, and, and yeah. it ended up being it. So it's just one of the things yeah. where it's just like you know. That's a, that was another, you know, intriguing of how that's going to uh, how that's going to play out the um, with that.
1: So, yeah. It, yeah. It's it's going to be a year, man. And and people don't give like like we talked about at the beginning. They get no credit. They ran into a buzzsaw that was 2016 Alabama. Right. I mean, <laughs> then that, that Alabama team went on to the national championship. So, and I believe it was a 24 to six game or something like that. I mean, mm-hmm. that's playing for a PAC 12 team to hold that Alabama offense to 24 points is something. So right. we should just be like, Oh, they're trash or the PAC 12 is, is terrible. I mean, they had Oregon go to the national championship by the PAC 12. We talked in the pre-production, Utah almost went to the playoffs last year. Oregon right. finished fifth in the last college football ranking. So, I, I don't understand how the Pac twelve is looked at as a soft conference because there's some real contenders in this conference.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I know we talked a little bit about Oregon and their personnel, and we you know, allude to that in, in a moment where who are the in the Pac twelve, we're in as far as we're looking at if you if people are looking at especially um, you know, on on the right coast, who are the players that are, are worth you know who are you know who are to watch at this Pac-12 conference?
1: Yeah, so I think any conversation we kind of highlighted him earlier. Keaton Slovis, best arguably the best um, offensive player in the Pac-12. I mean, he he's a player that everyone who hasn't seen him play should take time to watch this upcoming year because that true freshman year he he was not expecting to play and still came out and threw for over thirty five hundred yards. He threw for thirty touchdowns. Under uh, only nine interceptions as a true freshman and had a 71% completion percentage. So he was second in the conference in passing yards and third in the entire country in completion percentage behind Joe Burrow. And I believe it was Justin Fields. So that's pretty good company, if you ask me, in terms yeah. of a true freshman performance, especially one that came in as the second string quarterback and wasn't even expected to play and for me i'm absolutely interested to see that next step and i think he could be a future hospice trophy contender if usc keeps developing him properly and surrounds him with talent if we can get keaton Slovis a run game he's gonna be really really hard to beat and i believe my co-host said on our podcast he was like hashtag help keaton because keaton has no help right now he has a few potentially good wide receivers but I haven't seen enough for me to know they're going to be good day, game in and game out. And that's that's going to be the key to Keaton Slovis. And if you want a really under-the-radar player, it's quarterback Jaden Daniels at Arizona State. He's probably one that an average college football fan has probably never even heard of. I mean, who's watched an Arizona State game? Maybe that I means they beat Florida State in the Sun Bowl, I believe, or the Tiger. It's a serial bowl now. It's it, All these bowl games are getting outrageously named, but... He's another true freshman. Um, he was thrown directly into a fire. But unlike Keaton, he had so much less talent surrounding him. I mean, the talent at USC and Arizona State are leaps and bounds different. And he's still threw for just under 3,000 yards, 17 touchdowns. And, he, and for a true freshman, only two interceptions the entire season, including the bowl game. I mean, this kid was accurate. This kid made good decisions and i expect daniels to bust on bust onto the scene this year i mean people forget the coach at arizona state perm edwards who had major major success in the nfl and is a highly respected coach and he's getting some talent into arizona state and on our podcast we love recruiting arizona state had one of the most underrated recruiting halls last year they got a bunch of four three-star prospects but. Those four and three-star prospects were getting offers from SEC schools and stuff. They were the higher-rated three and four stars. And I think this Arizona State team is going to be someone to watch out for because of Daniels. And if he shows the decision-making ability and playmaking ability he did last year but becomes just a tad bit more efficient, Arizona State's really, really going to surprise some people. Um and I have to give you a defensive player. I know everyone loves talking offense, and we even joke on the podcast, <laughs> no, one, no one tunes in to hear about defensive players anymore. They, they want to hear about the touchdowns, the, th- right. the, the passing yards, and stuff like that. But I highlighted him earlier. I gave you guys a little teaser. Javon Holland is arguably, in my opinion, the best overall player in the Pac-12. Uh, him and Panay right there. For Oregon to have both of the top players on both sides of the ball is outrageous to me. But he's versatile, so he play, he can play anywhere, which is why I like him. He plays boundary corner. He plays slot corner. He can play safety. And with you see this with guys like Mika Fitzpatrick, Derwin James in the NFL. If they can move everywhere, it only adds to their value and talent because you might think you have a target on the outside, but then you don't realize that he's now he's playing outside. Now he's playing slot. He can follow guys across the field. And since he's a corner that travels – and I think we've even heard, I know this isn't like NFL talk, I mean, we've heard Richard Sherman get criticized by Darrell Revis, by Deion Sanders, that he doesn't travel with the receiver. Well, Javon Holling can travel with anybody. He's that good. And Pro Football Focus last year ranked him as the third best cornerback in the country, only behind Derek Stingley from LSU, who won the Thorpe Award. And Derek Stingley, if, he, if when we do the SEC preview, that's a guy you have oh, to highlight because that, kid, that kid's built yes. different. And second place was Christian Fulton, who was a first round NFL pick this year at LSU. So he was behind two LSU DBs who led that team to a national title. So Javon Holland is elite in that respect. And he's one of only three players the past two years to rack up four or more interceptions. So an elite company there. And he's ranked one in his freshman year and two in his sophomore year in the Pac-12 for interceptions. So, He's one of the top DBs since he stepped on the field, and for me, he's the best slot corner in college football, and he's the second best corner behind Stingley at LSU right now.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. The Pac twelve Pac-12 got some talent, man. no yes. doubt, no doubt whatsoever. So, as I alluded to early, us, you know, us right coasters, you know, like you said, we talked about it in pre production, where, you know. You, you, you have matchups coming on at ten thirty our time and you know okay. so you know we call these a pack 12 at the dark matchups where essentially okay. halftime is at midnight and you know awesome. so so what are the matchups that us left uh, us right coasters should look forward to
1: uh they're gonna have the usual suspects um week three is probably the first real game that's going to have playoff slash Pac-12 championship implications and that's arizona state at oregon stay up for that game but that one's late it probably will be being at oregon but um w- this week is going to be huge it's going to be a huge step to see if jaden daniels is the real deal if arizona state's the real deal i can take that Third year leap under Herm Edwards because that's what we're all waiting for. You hired Herm Edwards, who went and hired Marvin Lewis from the Bengals to be your co-defensive coordinator. So there's no more. Hey, we don't have any coach and we don't have any players. Like you have NFL, you have NFL bloodlines all through that program. So it's time to show up or just go ahead and retire. I mean, you got to you got to put up or shut up. And the key to this game, it's a Friday night game. And Friday night games in the Pac-12 always mean chaos. So, Arizona State pulled the upset over Oregon last year, and, and really kept Oregon out of the playoffs. Oregon beats Arizona State. They go to the playoffs over Georgia, and they face LSU in Atlanta. And that 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 was that one game because Oregon lost to Auburn. That was excused. Auburn beat Alabama. Auburn had a good year, but that Arizona State game really cost Oregon in the long run. And that means Oregon's looking to extract revenge. So don't expect Oregon to come in and not look to hang 100 on these guys because they're looking for, they're like, hey, they could have cost us a national championship. So that, that's why this game is going to be huge. And listen, if Oregon does not win this game, you can go ahead and wrap up the Pac-12 playoff hopes because a one-loss Pac-12 team is not going to get in. So this game probably means more for the Pac-12 than it does for any individual team. And and that brings me to this matchup. I know you'll you'll probably be excited for this one. Oregon USC week eight. Oh, ooh. that's that is going to be that should be if college game day happens, which I don't know if it will due to COVID and all that, this should be college game day. And yeah. this is a matchup that has college because USC is probably gonna be undefeated coming into this game because they don't play Arizona State till late in the season. If they don't play utah they don't have really anybody who i think is going to challenge them so this could be an eight 0 a seven and seven and zero matchup that's that always causes chaos and the the pac-12 hasn't got a playoff team in in a while so i'm real interested to see this game and oregon has the advantage it's going to be in eugene but the the reason i like this is keaton slovis who i think is the best quarterback in the pac-12 versus that oregon secondary i highlighted earlier that's going to be one of the best positional battles all season, and that's why I'm so excited for this game.
0: Absolutely, definitely huge shout out to our guy Richard for checking us out. What's going on, man? Everything's good. helps. everything's going going good for you on the other side of the pond. So definitely huge shout out for checking us out on a late evening for um for Richard and, and those and those guys. And yeah, so definitely appreciate that. So, and this is the the. Million dollar question. Um, <laughs> so and we actually did a poll, um, of our listeners here at Couch Coach Live of who they um, deemed as who will be the winner of the uh Pac 12. And I'll share those results before we get Zach's Ooh, thoughts on it.
1: That's, that's tight.
0: Yes, we have a, pretty tight. much a tie between Oregon and a uh, USC, which. Wow. Very, very shocking, and yes. I'm wow. I'm, and it was funny because it went neck and neck for the you know for the majority wow. of the of the poll. It was kind of one of those things where it felt like it was one sided both ways. So, so you know the listeners of Couch Coach Live pretty much say, "Hey, he's either going to be it's a two man race with no. Oregon and USC." So, no. Zach, you gotta break the ice. You gotta yeah. break the ice, brother. I I think anybody who
1: tuned in from the beginning knows who I'm going with here. Uh, (laughs) Not About it, Oregon's going to have an undefeated season. Um, You know, I think they're going to take the Pac-12. I expect USC to take the South with a strong run there by Arizona State. But when I break down the schedule, I think Arizona State drops a game or two somewhere. And I think they're one game out of the championship game. I think Arizona State's one year away. Jaden Daniels becomes a junior next year. Herm Edwards has one more recruiting class with Marvin Lewis as a defensive coordinator. They're going to be dangerous next year. There's a lot of next years in the Pac-12 for me. USC, Oregon are here right now. And, you know, I highlighted all the talent on Oregon's defensive side of the ball. But let's not forget, yes, they lost Justin Herbert. C.J. Verdell, their leading rusher, a thousand-year rusher last year, comes back. Their leading wide receiver, Johnny Johnson, who was hurt early in the season last year, he's returning. Um, and for me, I'm a huge Tyler Shaw believer who I think is going to win the quarterback battle here. I think he's going to bring a fresh start to Oregon. I mean, he's already 6'5", 230, so he's got the NFL prototypical size. He's got the arm strength. He was the number one player out of Arizona in his recruiting class, a top 100 player overall. This kid's not a scrub. He was he was a better kid coming out of, college, uh, out of high school than Justin Herbert was. So don't think that Tyler Shaw can't ball because I promise you he's going to prove people wrong if you think that. And look out for USC, but like I said earlier, I think they lack talent and experience in the wrong places, such as wide receiver and offensive line. And when you match them up with that Oregon secondary with so much experience, so much NFL talent, and then you go to the defensive line with Kayvon Thibodeau coming off the edge, I think Keaton Slovis is going to have a long day. And added to that, I don't know, I forgot to mention this earlier, Oregon recruited the top two linebackers in the last year's recruiting class so they have two five-star linebackers stepping in to that linebacker spot so they have five-star talent nfl talent every level of that defense so i don't think usc has the firepower this year to upset them so i'm taking oregon in a runaway in both of those games
0: yeah so absolutely so mm-hmm. let's put a let's put a bone this week's well this uh 12 preview so zach um Tell everybody where they can find you on social media and tell them a little bit more about the podcast.
1: Yeah, guys. uh, I'm a co-host of the Blue Blue Bloods College Football Podcast, uh, co-host Brandon Williams. You can find our social media, Twitter. It's at the underscore underscore Blue Bloods. Instagram at the underscore Blue Bloods. Facebook at the Blue Bloods pod. Uh, My name's Zach McKinnell. You can find me. It's just Zach McKinnell on everything. Brandon Williams, BT Williams on everything i believe um our website the bluebloodspod.com you can find articles links to episodes we're on youtube just look up the blue blood CFE podcast we got all our interviews up there um yeah we cover college football every episode i think we're probably one of the only podcasts that covers strictly college football college football all the time we cover nationally so don't think just because your team's in the aac or something we don't talk about it I mean, we talked about cincinnati probably more than we talked about utah last year we talk about everything. We come out with two, three episodes a week. We have interviews with some of the biggest people. Um, I'll plug. We have a, a huge interview coming up um, pretty soon, so tune in for that. We've had Cole Kublick on from SEC Network. He was amazing. Uh, Don Bunsen Clemson play-by-play guy Blake Ferguson LSU long snapper off this national championship team We interviewed him like a few weeks after the national championship So if you like college football come check us out. Um, I know you guys can tune into both of our podcasts We you get the best of both worlds if you tune into both you get college football professional sports Just you can't beat it. And
0: i'm just glad we're having sports this year. I don't know about you Oh, man, i'm i'm so i'm so happy i'm (laughs) i am now, especially with the NBA's back and just to a point, especially with football, I could just I could just feel it in the air, and you know, oh. and you know, as far and with me, I'm a actually a UNC Tar Heel football guy. So oh, to be 17th ranked in the country to me, it, it feel uh-huh. like it is a banner year. I, I see visions of dancing in the street in Franklin Street in Chapel Hill at the Great. ACC victories and especially after we beat Notre Dame and you know so you know, right, so you know right so you know right so you know and I'm just very excited for football to come back especially college because I think this is going to be the year for my North Carolina Tar Heels I think this is and it's and it's only going to get better yes. I mean to have the number two recruiting class in the class of 2021 it, is it's it's so right. And it baffles my mind and it it makes me like I I literally have to check it just about at least once a week and to be like, oh, wow, we are still here. Like this isn't a typo. This is been consistently for months. I (laughs) I think you guys are underrated.
1: I don't know how I don't know if you've went back far enough. We talked about um, Mm -hmm. UNC. I've been getting a lot of flack from our listeners, Brandon, my co-host, because I actually picked UNC to go undefeated this year. Um, and go to the ACC championship and face something. I think Sam Howell. I really do. And I, I get yes. made fun of every episode. I think he can win the Heisman this year. I really do. I think he's that good. And, and people just
0: are sleeping on this kid just because he goes to UNC. Right. Because you think about it, he's had the most touchdowns for a freshman quarterback. I think he, in, in, in NCAA history, isn't he? Yeah, he beat. I think he. Yeah, uh, had more. Right. He had more than Trevor Lawrence.
1: Because yeah, he had oh, what he,
0: thirty? He had thirty-five. 35-36. 30,
1: 30 only a handful of interceptions. And, right. and he didn't have any help last year. Right. Could, an average fan, so they're like, well, looking at Trevor Lawrence, it's like, he has four NFL wide receivers. Right. You know, he, Travis <laughs> Etienne is the best running back in
0: college football. In college football, where, right. And it's funny because, like, I, I, you know, of course, you know, doing just research is everything. Just college football, just anything, anything dealing with sports. And I see no high – like, everybody does these hype Heisman sleepers. I'm like, hello, there's one in the Atlantic Coast Conference by the name of Sam Howell. They're one of the best freshmen in the country, And you know, last year. He's not even a sleeper to me. He
1: is a favorite. All right, he's I bonafide. Mean, that good, and I, I told my co-host, I mean, North Carolina next year is going to be – like, I, I know the game got canceled, and I told him, I was like – I really think they're going to beat Auburn next year. If if we would have played in Atlanta, I was probably going to pick UNC for that game. And I think UNC, even without the conference realignment schedule, I think UNC could have really went 12-0. I think that team is that good. And when this recruiting class comes in, UNC is going to be one of the best teams. And I've, I've released my way too early preseason top 25. I had UNC like ninth. I think they're that good. Already, I, I don't need to see anymore. Sam Howell is that good of a quarterback. Wow. He's, wow. He's, he's he's legit, guys, and I, I'm, yeah. pro, I'm not I'm not even doing it because I'm on your podcast. You can go back yeah. and listen. I, I, got I yeah. played, made fun of, like uh, we had fans hitting us up in the DMs, like, where's he getting UNC? And I'm like, Sam Howell is right there with Trevor Lawrence right now. I mean, he's that good. I mean, he's not Trevor Lawrence. Don't get me wrong, but like right. he's the close second and. Right, UNC has a lot of freshmen this year or people who registered last year who I think are going to contribute leaps and bounds to that team. And right. Mac Brown has done it. He did it at UNC his first stint. He did it at Texas. He's yes. doing it now. And people who sleep on UNC just aren't aren't paying attention because I'm yeah. telling you, if Sam Howell is not in New York for the Heisman this year, yeah. you, you can take my credentials away because I think he's going to be there because I think he's going to be sure. that good this year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and and yeah, that's where you... When you look at it, and, you know, that, you know, go into it and lament a little bit more. But you can tell, like, this was a young team as far as, you know, losing battles in the fourth quarter, which, with experience, you're going to be able to clean that up. Where a lot of those teams... Think about it. The team were in dogfights all year, but, you know, just the attrition of the fourth quarter just got the best of them. And now you know, you got a little bit of an experience because I think, and it's funny because I think people, and it's weird because you would have thought them, lo- them you know, losing the clip, beating Clemson, you know, losing the Clemson about one point should have been like, okay, well, maybe we need to start looking at this team. And then, like you said, everybody else just threw it off to the shelf. I'm like, no, this is monumental. Like yeah. the only team that really competed with them was us and then LSU beat them. Yeah. Everybody else, it was a cakewalk for Clemson. It, it wouldn't even – and th- people forget, I mean,
1: UNC was the better team for three and a half quarters. Right. Against Clips. I mean, they – I remember I was watching the game because I was flipping. It was the same weekend that South Carolina beat Georgia. And I was like, man, are all these teams going to go down this weekend? Because UNC came out and they – Sam. I remember Sam Howell threw a deep post. It was like early first quarter and just burned the Clipson secondary. And I was like, who is this Kicks. it was the first time right. that, like, I was really – introduced with right. Sam Howell, and people forget he's been in situations. He won a close game. Very first game starting against South Carolina, yeah. who yes, they might not have been the typical SEC South Carolina team, but South Carolina at that point was still decent, and he led a game-winning drive, made the plays down the stretch. He was three yards away from knocking off Clemson, and then you, go, you watch his progression throughout the season. If you watch that bowl game against Temple, they absolutely destroy temple and yeah. sam howell if you watch that south carolina game to the temple game his mm-hmm. growth as a quarterback is so outstanding and i think the key here is next year for unc those incoming defensive recruits that you guys are bringing in yeah. are going to be the real x factor And y'all had a few in this past recruiting class that mm-hmm. are going to contribute immediately and it, i'm just saying if clemson has a bad game UNC can beat Clemson to get an ACC championship and if Clemson doesn't come out and play their best ball I think UNC can pull the upset
0: there yeah yeah so definitely appreciate you
1: yes. coming on today yes, Zach
0: yes. and most definitely like when it, you know finally I, I finally have <laughs> found someone in this life that drinks the same Carolina blue Kool-Aid that that I do so yes. so it's only so now the world has two quote unquote crazy people that are crazy about the Tar Heels. So, <laughs> oh, man. Th- this this is thing. fantastic. So definitely, yeah,
1: I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. I, like when you said you were a UNC fan, I was like, oh, man, right, you <laughs> right. You're like you're gonna come join the podcast. Like you're too high on UNC. Yes, oh,
0: yeah. Man. It's it's been one of the things where it's been like a rocky road. I've been I think I've been following them for really about What 22 years there was a guy named uh, ronald curry that i really like you know he was um from my area. you know from he's from hampton virginia but obviously i'm from from the state of virginia so he was a guy like me and i kind of followed him and then it just carried on but yeah so man yeah Uh, i'm
1: excited man i'm excited (laughs) for you because i mean people forget i believe it was 2016 you guys were one play away in 15, overtime. Yeah, Fifteen,
0: that onside, that, that that BS onside kick that we all know that should have should have got, got, got ran back. I was so right. upset for you guys. I was
1: rooting for you guys at that point. I mean, I yeah. have an uncle who works for Clemson, so mm-hmm. he's always pushing like Clemson this, Clemson that. I'm like, yeah, y'all have Trevor Lawrence, like y'all are gonna be good forever, right? When you I was like, the second y'all overlook UNC, I'm going to be calling, and you're going to have to answer That's the right. phone. UNC comes rolling up. and Absolutely. And I feel so much crap for it, man. He he does not see it. And I'm like, I- I'll come back to you guys in the fall when UNC's on 10-0, because we made our ACC predictions, and I, I looked at the schedule. I don't see UNC losing. I think they're going to beat Notre Dame. Yep. I really do. And Miami losing Rousseau, he opted out. That's yep. a huge, huge, huge loss for Miami. Yes. He's, he's, he's 6'7, 260 had 15 and a half sacks last year, and you're not going to replace that. You you can say you got Quincy Roche, but now that Rousseau's off that other end, they're just going to slide the protection to Rus- to um Quincy Roche, and he's not going to do anything. But when you had both of them, you can't slide the protection because one of them's getting to the quarterback. And I think Miami, they were a dark course for me in the ACC. But yep. since Rousseau opted out, I think you can wrap it up for Miami this year. I don't think they're going to be able to replace Rousseau because I think Rousseau is a future
0: top five pick for uh, the NFL. Absolutely and definitely. Yep. Thank you once again for coming on sure. to this week's okay, we gotta actually we got one question before we round sure. out. We got our we got Petty. So yes yes, let us know what's uh, what's your question. Just waiting for that to pop up. But yeah, that's another where you look at um yeah, and that's one thing too where, you know and I you know, as far as being a Qatario fan, I get the vitriol as well with people and they're just like it's, it's overhyped. I'm like, no, like they're good. It's right, be. right. <laughs> they're 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 a good team. Like this isn't just lip service. Never mind. But yeah, we got we had a troll. So we don't have a question. So uh, yeah, so Zach, man, definitely appreciate you for coming on, um, for for this. So, and we'll we'll have you on for the SEC as well. So we'll stick and you know, stay tuned for that as well. And definitely check out our guys, the Blue Bloods podcast, man. They they're doing their thing, man.
1: I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you. Yeah. Well, yes, indeed. And Brandon always down to come join yes. and talk college football. We live for this, for sure.
0: And we're, yeah, oh yeah, we're gonna and definitely during the season. We definitely gonna have oh, yeah. you on during the season. So yeah, man. So definitely, once again, this has been the Pac-12 conference with a little ACC sprinkle. <laughs> so, so for sure. um, yeah, for sure. So definitely appreciate you for coming through today, Zach. And man, this has been the Pac-12 conference preview. We we'll see you guys for the next conference.